The Introvert's Edge podcast was designed to create a dialogue around introversion, to stimulate a discussion around our disadvantages, how we overcome those disadvantages, and what we consider our introvert's edge. Together, we're finally going to confront the stigma around introversion, showing that we're not second-class citizens. We're just different, and we need to embrace that. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Introvert's Edge podcast. I have to admit, I'm ecstatic about this interview we're about to do because Anthony Anarino, he is a person that I have known for years. I can't believe I haven't had him on the podcast sooner, and we will definitely bring that up about how we've waited so long, I'm sure, during this show. But, you know, Anthony's written six books now, six, so he's definitely well ahead of me. And if you check all the reviews, these are not... Uh, books that he just threw up, got 15 reviews and moved to the next one. These are all massive bestsellers. They've all got hundreds and hundreds of five-star reviews. But it didn't start from success. You'll get to hear about his story about the fact that he wasn't supposed to be in sales. He was supposed to be a rock and roller. And also that he ended up selling from the age of 15, which to the average introvert listening, I can imagine, sounds terrifying. But we're going to get into all of that and how it wasn't the best experience for him, but how he started to step through it in a way that he felt was comfortable for him as well. But Anthony, I just, I'm ecstatic to have you here, mate. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's it's terrific to get to do this and, and to see you as well. And I we've left it too long for us catching up as well. So um, hopefully we can remedy that. I think COVID has made us all just a little bit more um, used to not seeing all of our friends as, as, as often. So I you know I think that a lot of introverts, especially listening at the moment now, perhaps even find it a little bit more difficult to, to reach out to people, which is why sales as a, as a topic is, is so, so vitally important. And I really want to get into your, your story a little bit because... When I hear the concept of I want to be a, a rock and roller and I also want to believe that this person that I'm, I'm listening to is, is going to be able to help me as, as an introvert. And I mean, rock, want to be a rock and roller, even though there's a huge number of rock and rollers that are introverted and then forced to, forced to, chose to pick up the phone and actually do sales calls at the age of 15. Tell me a little bit about, I mean, those seem like two different people's backgrounds, not a single person. So help us understand you a little bit more. Yeah, I can share. I, I don't know that I've ever shared this before, but I'll share it with you. Um, when I went to St. James the Less Catholic schools, uh, I was really introverted and, and I was also fearful. So there's all these kids that grew up with a father and a mother. Uh, they're in football. They're really good at sports, all of those things. I'm not good at anything. I'm literally not good at anything at all. I'm not interested in being in school. I don't want to be around these people. I'm totally introverted. So I don't even speak. I mean, I have to sit because I don't have the courage to even ask for a hall pass to go to the bathroom. That's how introverted. Uh, that That's where I started. And I was always afraid, like, these people are stronger than me. They're bullies. There's all these things that were, were happening to me at that particular time. And uh, I don't know if I've ever told this to anybody, but at some point, uh, I had a, like, a reaction to this. And I started to engage and I was engaging with the worst possible people that you can imagine. So if you have children, like these would be the people you would say, I don't want you being around. That's what I was around for a long time. 
And at some point, it started to help me come out of my shell very, very late. Like I have a little daughter. She's tiny. She's like five foot tall. She reacted to her brother and sister and she came out of her shell really fast. And then she's never gone back in. Like she's just aggressive. Uh, I couldn't imagine, like she was like seven and that happened to her. And then for me, it was like probably 13, 14 before I could even talk. I mean, literally I was afraid of everything. Um, I was poor though. So uh, I think you have a similar background where you have some traumas and lots of things that you're not really happy that happened to you, but you do have a chance to look at that through the mindset and say, it made me stronger than I would have been if I didn't have these things happen. So when I started to come out of my shell, I realized I was poor uh, and I was really poor. Like we ate fish sticks, macaroni and cheese and hamburger helper. That That's what the entire diet was. Uh, it's all my mom could afford with four kids by herself in a little apartment. And I decided I don't really like this. I have to do something. So the first thing I did at 12 years old was I started a newspaper uh, route and uh, I, somebody told me, if you knock on the door and you ask people to buy this, uh, you will get money. And I thought, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> uh, and I'm knocking on strangers' doors. At, at the end of my time with the, the newspaper, I had 300 Sunday newspapers to deliver every Sunday. It took me the whole day to get people's uh, papers to them. Uh, after that, I went to washing dishes where, again, I could sort of hide and hang out. And I was getting fed prime rib, uh, chocolate mousse, lasagna, uh, as much as I wanted every single day. So it's like my life was changing uh, dramatically. But when I left that, I went to a not-for-profit muscular dystrophy, which you probably remember. And... I was responsible for calling people and asking them to do a bike-a-thon. I was 15 years old. I've got a list of phone numbers, and I've got a script, and I start making calls. And of course, like, it's constant no, right? We don't want to put on a bike-a-thon. No, 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 always no's. And at some point, I decided this isn't the best thing for me. I need to find another job. Uh, I got a job at a skating rink as a, a person that takes care of making sure people don't get hurt. And uh, I got a call from them and they said, you're the only person that's ever had a bike-a-thon and you had two. So we need you to come back. And I was like, no possibility, no possibility at all. I'm never going back to making cold calls. Well, fast forward, I'm playing in a rock and roll band. My mom and her business partner have a business and I take a job with them where I'm responsible for calling to ask people for a meeting. And so, of course, more no's and just more no, no after no after no. And it took me a while before I got a, a hold of what I was really trying to do. And I started to be a little bit more, I'm going to say, outgoing than I was. And then playing rock and roll also made me more outgoing, even though the first time I ever played on a stage uh, Matthew, I was like hiding behind the microphone stand. Like I, I was like trying to hide. I'm the front man of a hair metal band 
And I am stuck in that place just because I wasn't free enough with my body or my movement or the things that I wanted to say. And it took a long time for me uh, to get over that. My brother, who was my bass player, was totally outgoing. Like, he's just a madman. He's running all over the place. He's a wild man. And I'm like, man, I wish I could do that, but I can't. I can't move my feet. I can't move my body. And uh, eventually, I got comfortable enough that I could start doing that. And I think there are other people who are front men who are also introverts. So I would look at somebody like uh, Eddie Vedder. Like, he, he's not David Lee Roth. He's not Mick Jagger. He's none of those things, right? But he's still very successful uh, because he's got something to say. So that that's how I, I sort of came out of my shell. It took me a lot longer uh, than I wish it would have. Andy, I want to just firstly really appreciate your honesty there. I And, and if this is the first time you're sharing it, which it's, it sounds like it is, I think it's exactly what the audience needed to hear because, I mean, you're, you're a big deal when it comes to the world of sales. I mean, you run a conference, you've, you, you speak on a lot of massive stages. And for somebody to hear that, I mean, to the point, the, the fact that you even cold called and then went, no, not for me, I, I can't stand this. And now I know that you, you teach people sales and you have one of these books on, on the topic of closing, which as an introvert, the whole idea probably gives people heebie-jeebies just hearing that. So we're going to get into that. But I, I just, I, I really feel that your story is going to really inspire a, a, a lot of people and it, I think that one of the things that I'm really interested in, though, and I think that this I, is really important for the, especially the small business audience to, to hear, is that a lot of introverts really feel the, the, nest, the need to be 100% about their customers. And a lot of the time, they feel like sales isn't helping their customers. I keep trying to tell them that sales would derive from the Scandinavian term to serve, but then they, it's like they feel like they have to become a different person when it comes to selling. And I mean, you've written a book called Eat Their Lunch, um, and <laughs> that, that's all about stealing your clients from the competitors. And I could just imagine the, the mental explosions people are having just hearing these concepts as I'm bringing them up. Can you help people understand you know, how you see sales and, and and really where you see small business owners getting in their own way when it comes to mentally getting their self mentally right to sell. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of baggage that comes with the idea of selling. And it's because like right now we got all the bros, right? The bros who are like pushing, uh, always pushing, always trying to to ask questions like, could you do this by Friday? Like it's all self-oriented. I mean, so this is the one thing where the introvert has such a higher probability of winning by being other oriented. Like this is the most important thing. I've said this since the first book, selling isn't something that you're doing to somebody. You're doing it for them and with them to benefit them. That's what we're doing. And if you ever feel like, well, I shouldn't be trying to serve them this way, you are incorrect. Like this is exactly what people want. They want help. And when you think about the environment that we're in right now, I always call this the ACDC environment. Even though I was a good Bon Scott and I could also do Brian Johnson when I was a singer, but this is a different ACDC. This is accelerating constant disruptive change. And that's where we live. We got a hot war in Europe. Who would have thought that was going to be happening? The, the greatest inflation 
inflation in 40 years. We've got political divisiveness. We have all these factors that are weighing on the environment that we're in. And what this means is that people need more help. They need more certainty. They need us to give them more time. I know a lot of people in sales, their sales leaders are like, we need to get velocity. We have to do it faster. Slow down. Give them your time. Give them your attention. Give them your help. And you have such a greater odd of winning their business by being that person and not the person who's trying to push them. You never have to push. It's a game of pull. Like when you have a great conversation with someone and they're learning and they're trying to figure out how to make this decision with your help, you're in a much better place than anybody else. So I would say just be who you are. And the other thing is you can't be anybody else anyway. I mean, I'd like to be as handsome as Matt, but I'm not. I happen to be, I look like a Ukrainian uh, Russian of some kind because I have a lot of that in my blood. So I look like this, but he's a handsome guy and he's got his attributes and I have mine and you have yours. And so you go with what you've been given and that will be enough for you. It will be exactly enough for you. You know, it's funny. I mean, there's, a, there's an element in my book where I talk about having really bad acne and a, and a basketball hitting my face and the, 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 the pimple bursting and how embarrassing that was for me. But that led to me selling in a way that I felt like I was always coming from behind because I, I didn't feel like I could leverage, I guess, my, my natural ability to coerce because I was a, a good-looking kid or something like that because I was always uncomfortable. And I, I, I think that practice and, I, you know, it's the thing I love about your books that you talk about, you know, especially in your first book, you talk about any person can learn to sell as long as they're willing to follow a, a methodical series of steps. And I, I think that, and it's funny, I was talking to Don Miller, the, the guy that wrote the story brand recently. Yeah. And he's, he was a wonderful guest on the show. And what we were talking about the facts, I know you focus on storytelling as well. So I'm really interested in this from you, but when we were talking about the fact that introverts don't like to be all about them, as a matter of fact, whether it's fear or not, they, they don't want to be the, the face of their brand sometimes. But when you tell them to tell a story, the story is all about them and yeah. how amazing they were. And we were talking about, well, how is that the case? It's like, well, actually a neediness perhaps, because there's this, you know, I need you to accept me kind of thing that stops you being about them. Now, in your, in your book, eat, eat Your Lunch, um, Eat Their Lunch, sorry, you talk about the fact that when you're thinking about sales and especially stealing clients from your competitors in these highly competitive spaces, you actually say it's not about you as well. You talk about the fact that you should, because a lot of small business, like any customer is a good client, but where you say, what you say is really lean into the fact that there are certain groups, if you forget about yourself and you need a client, there are customers in that space that have more to gain by working with you than others, but it's the focus on everybody that gets you unstuck. For a lot Absolutely. Of people in that space that have no idea, they think that this sounds nice, but they have a meaningful, no meaningful way to, to process that. And how would you suggest they go about getting out of the, any customer is a good customer to a, how do I eat the lunch of the people that I'm actually serving? In a, in a more effective way. So it's not about me. It, it really is never about us. And what, what I figured out in staffing was that there were a lot of people who were apathetic or they've worked with the client so long, they now hate the client and they don't want to be around them anymore because they've just had so many problems over time. Uh, they're not bringing new value 
and then the client's getting stuck and they're missing some sort of what we might call an inflection point where something changed, but then they didn't care enough to go help them with that change. So there's all these factors. So I always see these metrics that are like only three people are looking to buy from you. I have no idea if that's true. I, I doubt it. I'm very skeptical about that because I've run into a whole bunch of people who, um, Matthew, it starts like this. Uh, we're very happy with our existing provider. And then I get a meeting with them and then they start out by saying, yeah, yeah we, they've been with us for a long time. We have a lot of good relationships with them. They're pretty good. You know, sometimes they don't get things right. You know what? We're really interested in having a conversation. <laughs> and you're like, they went from, I love them to, uh, I'm not getting what I want. But that's just the nature of the relationship is they can't just go like, Matthew, we hate them. <laughs> they just won't do that. That'll just sort of like wind down. They're waiting for somebody to step in and say, you, you can get better results. We can help you with that. And in the business that I was in most of my life, I couldn't win a client unless I'm taking it from somebody else. Like the, everybody already had a staffing company. They weren't like, let's wait and see if somebody shows up. They were getting called on every day by four or five people. I was literally sitting from across from a client once and he answered the phone on, on speaker for, so I could hear my competitor uh, saying all kinds of bad things about my company. And we hung up, he got another call, he put it on and it was a second competitor. <laughs> and I thought, wow, like this is what his day is like. There's a whole bunch of people trying to displace me. Uh, he, they didn't displace me and that, that was amazing. But before I left, he handed me everybody's collateral. Like he gave me every proposal and everything so I could see what they were doing. And that's just the nature of the relationship that we had. But it's a, uh, it's something that you're doing because people still need your help. And I would tell you if that is what motivates you and it should, because when you help another person get a result that they couldn't get without you, they're going to be appreciative of that and you're going to feel good about what you're doing. And that's the reason that I stayed in sales is because I actually liked helping people. I still like helping people. I mean, I can't think of anything that's more, that brings me more joy than helping other people get better results than the results that they're getting. I know that's true for you too, or you wouldn't do it. You know, I think that's a really powerful message for you to tell people because I think that a lot of people believe that they need to become somebody that they're not just to, to get a sale. And it's all about closing the deal where I don't want to work with people that I can't add value to. And I, a lot of times will say, well, if I don't close this customer, I'm doing them a disservice because if they get on a phone call with somebody else, that's a better salesperson than me that has a lesser product, they're going to end up forever being worse off. So I've trained my psychology to be on my side in a lot of ways. And while I really want to get into, because you've got, I mean, some amazing stuff where you talk about not being intimidated as about competition, but actually, you know, really embracing it. I think that's really powerful, but I, I really want to get into the mindset piece. And then, and just for the people listening, because you know, I want to let you know, I get the benefit of interviewing Anthony twice today. So we're going to be, if you haven't registered yet, for the Introverted Seller Summit, make sure you do that because if you're enjoying this interview, but perhaps it feels a little bit more on the the abstract of believing you can, well, that's what we wanted it to be because 
I feel like belief is nine tenths of the journey for us introverts. But we want to get into the practical stuff too, and, and we're definitely going to do that in the Introverted Seller Summit. Which, if you register now, it's 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 free to join and it's free to come and listen to Anthony. I, I would highly recommend you do that. But before we go and finish up this interview, I, I really want to hammer this this mindset thing because I know that I mean it's a passion that I share that negativity or pessimism is the devil when it comes to salespeople, small business, and just being introverted in general sometimes. Because and, and you talk about negative bias in, in the new book that you've you've got coming out. I would love for you to just share briefly, you know, why you think we get into these negative loops and how it affects us. And 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 then perhaps, and you know, I know the book's coming out very shortly, you know, a little bit about where people can perhaps check out um that book. Yeah, we're gonna have it on uh pre-sale here very quick. Um this idea of negativity bias is really what um psychiatric people who are looking at how did we get here, uh, it's an evolution. And it was designed to keep us alive. So if you think about your your 10,000 years in the past, saber-toothed tigers, anything that you're trying to eat is also trying to eat you at the same time. Anybody that your your neighbor is uh, likely to hit you in the head with a, a rock or something and steal your food or your your wife, whatever. Like the, it's a it's a terrible environment to be in, and so we developed the ability to be a little bit skeptical, a little bit cynical, and negative because the people who were not negative enough end up getting eaten uh, very soon because they're they're so positive that they're going to be able to uh, take down a, a woolly mammoth or something. So th this is what what we know. Like that's how we got here. And it stays with us. But one of the things that uh, happens when you're now many, many years in the future, right? Um, we are designed for a high-stress environment. So there's a saber-toothed tiger. You run away. Uh, you get free. After that, you don't worry about it. But now what we have are these low-stress-level things that are just constant. So you're not designed for these constant low stressors all day long. So you're worried about your kids. You're worried about inflation. You're worried about uh, your bank being in trouble. You're worried about political divisiveness. Uh, the kid with long hair that's driving with his stereo all the way up in my court. I mean, like all of these things. And it's too much for us. And I'll, I'll give you a couple um, points on this. In 1970, Al Ben Toffler who wrote Future Shock, said that the rate of change in our environment is so fast that it's actually an elemental force of its own. And that if we don't get control over the rate of change in our environment, uh, we're going to have serious psychological problems in the future. We can't go as fast as our, our technology now goes. So now we've got AI. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, who created the optical character recognition and the Kurzweil synthesizer and 138 other things that he patented. Uh, he now is the head of AI for Google. And what he said in 1995 in a book called The Singularity is Near is that the rate, when we get to what's called the knee, where the AI is now smarter than us, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. 
He said it's going to rip the fabric of human history. That's what he says. And Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote Sapiens in Dos Homo, uh, he said that all this information that we're getting actually is just confusing us and it's even making us more stressed. So this is where we are. So when you start thinking about this external environment, the rate of change right now, it's just very, very difficult for people, which is why we have so much um, concern about mental health. And when you look at things like homelessness and you look at the stats around fentanyl, 110,000 people die of fentanyl every year. And the reason our, our expectation of life is re reducing right now is fentanyl and suicide. Those are the two major factors right now. So this is where we are. So I wrote a book called The Negativity Fast because I felt like I did it for me. I wrote the book for me. I did the work for me. And then I realized I should be making this available to other people who want to get control of their negativity. And you, I want to make sure that people understand this. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a person that looks for strategies that work. And I will tell you after reading uh, all that I read, and there's a big part of the book that's just citations at the end, uh, you're allowed to be negative. Sometimes it's good for you to be negative. Sometimes it's exactly the appropriate response to have to some event or something that's happening in your world. So don't think like, well, I'm going to be positive every minute of the day. That's not good for you either. Uh, you, you, are, you are built this way because this is what we are. So I would say don't, don't think that I have to be positive every minute. And don't think that you have to be negative every minute either. So you have to balance that. But on balance, if you use some good strategies, I'll give you the easiest one for people to execute. Um, Marty Seligman created positive psychology uh, at Penn State. And there was no positive psychology before him. And what he had people do was write down at night three things that went well for them and why they went well for them. If you do that for two weeks every night, so three things, not, not a gratitude journal, not like I love my family, I, I'm grateful that none of that stuff. So something that actually happened during that day. Seligman's research showed that that is more powerful than psychoanalysts and pharmaceuticals, and it lasts for six months. So these are the kinds of things that gratitude, when I, when I was studying gratitude, I was stunned, will lower your blood pressure, increase your immunity to uh, diseases. I mean, it, it's amazing how powerful just gratitude is. But nobody tells you that. They don't tell you that in college or in high school. And you you don't know just that how powerful something like that is. Yeah, that's a really important message. And it's interesting. I'm, I'm playing a, a, a balancing act here because the application is far more than just small business, far more than just business and career professionals in general. It's such an important thing for people to hear. So I, I don't want to belittle it by saying that the applications in in running your own business are so vitally important. So I want people to really embrace that for a second. That being said, the small the applications in business, I, I just don't feel like I would be here without constantly focusing on banishing negative mindsets. Now, 
thinking about things because you have to be a realist and actually looking at the negative things that could happen and and and, and assessing those, but not living in them every day. And for right. me, what was really interesting is that, and you've had a very successful career, so I'm I'm wondering about yourself as well. But you always get success apathy where you're hitting all these awards and milestones, so you then feel like you've got through a week where lots of good stuffs happened, but you haven't really taken it on. So you still feel like you're not going anywhere. And then for those other people, and I remember what it was like to first get started, and you've got all of these little things that you've achieved, but at the end of the week, you feel like you've achieved nothing because your brain is trying to aggregate those into something as a one significance. So it feels like you're working really hard going nowhere. I feel like from that perspective alone, it's so important to have control over your mindset. So I, I, I guess I mean we're running way over time here, but you just you just opened up a can of worms. I apologize for that, but I, I really want to to make sure for the people that are listening to this, the do you find that a lot of people get lost in in this kind of lots of little tasks don't seem like as a high level thing, and that's why you're suggesting writing these things down, or is it just that yes. everything becomes yes. insane? Yeah, I think that if you don't take credit for those things, it's a mistake. I mean, even if it's a small win, it's a small win. It's not a small loss. I, I think that's one of the things that uh, Seligman got right, is you you have these things that happen, and you go like, well, that was okay. It wasn't bad, so it's not negative. But I think if you write them down, and I, I've done this with one of my, my companies where I've asked everybody to do their blessings in a chat. And I thought that would go on for two weeks. It's still going on. It's been going on for months. Yeah. And they're, they're still interested in saying what good things happened to them. And now it's starting to become a habit. Well, that's terrific. Well, let's do Let's do this. Now, I would recommend to everybody that they definitely check out this book the moment it comes out. And it, it comes out on October 31st. So, you know, you can definitely pre-order it now. I would recommend to everybody, though, in the meantime, because you'll be listening to this beforehand, and before the book comes out, I challenge you to actually write that down, the three things that went well and why it went down for 30 days and, and see the effect it has. And you can keep it separated to small business or you can keep it broad. Whatever works for you, do something that focuses it because you're right. There are so many things that confront us now and it's only going to get more. I think it's a really powerful tool. I, I finish all my inter interviews, Anthony, by asking one question because as you know, I hate the fact that most people look at the the problems that introverts have or the reasons for why they're not as successful. And I believe that introverts make the best salespeople, the best networkers. So for me, it's all about confronting this stigma. If you can think about your growing up and the personal and, and, and the struggles that you had, my bet is there was one edge that you had over everybody else. There's the thing that gave you the strength or gave you the advantage because perhaps of the, the, the hurdles that you faced, what would you consider your edge? I had two things that were helpful for me. Uh, one, at some point, I realized that I was smart. Not not like genius smart, but just smart. So that was number one. And then number two, I could make people laugh. And if I could make people laugh, it kept me from getting beat up a lot. So uh, that that was the two things. I was just trying not to get beat up as often as I was getting beat up. And I... I was not I was I fought a lot. If I was good at it, it would be okay. But I wasn't. Uh, it wasn't my thing. So 
I, I figured out how to, to do that. I think that was an, we all make these adaptations. The introversion is an adaptation to something. And if somebody's an extrovert, that's a, an, it's something that they're going to try to adjust to their environment. Like my tiny daughter, her brothers and sisters are way taller than her. Uh, they were pretty much pushing her around. And then that was her adaptation was like, I'm going to be bigger than you. She's tiny, but she is bigger than them when it comes to her spirit, you know, and then that's an adaptation. You are what you are. And listen, you are, you're here for 4,108 weeks on average. I'm looking at 1,377 remaining. Uh, and you just, you're here for a short time. Just be the best version of you. There is no reason to try to do anything else. Like you are what you are. You're here for a reason. And just go do that and don't worry about it. It'll all work out. I think that's an important message for people to hear. And I love every time you say things like be the best version of yourself, you're not trying to convince people to be someone they're not. You're just saying lean into who you are, which I, I love. Hey. We have to cut this interview short because we have another interview to get on um, <laughs> for the Introverted Seller Summit. So for those people that are, are just listening to this one now and have never heard of you before, you've got way too many resources out there. I can feel people getting overwhelmed just hearing it. Where would you suggest, is there a book, a template, a, a video that you would suggest people start with to, to really start their journey into your stuff? I, I would tell you the, the one-up book called Elite Sales Strategies doesn't require that you're an extrovert at all. It doesn't require that you're an introvert. All it, all it requires of you is to be smart and to have good questions for your clients and to know the things that they don't know that they don't know. And, and that is available to every single person. It has nothing to do with your personality whatsoever. You can do that whether you're an Enneagram 8 like me or if you're a, an Enneagram 3. I mean, whatever you happen to be, that's what you are. But anybody can do this. That's that's terrific. Well, look, thank you so much for sharing that. And Thank you to everyone uh, for listening to one of our longer episodes. I hope you deemed it worth it like I did to continue going because I, I feel that mindset is so critical for us as introverts. And it's something that a lot of times we get so into this, the strategies and the tactics because this big part feels perhaps like a waste of time, though I feel like it's the foundations. With shaky foundations, you just you don't get anywhere. So I, I hope that people really take the time to do these exercises even though perhaps they don't directly relate to an outcome. My belief is you'll see those outcomes very, very quickly afterwards. But for those people listening that haven't registered yet for the Introverted Seller Summit, please go straight to the introvertedsellersummit.com and register straight away to hear the next part of this interview where we're really going to get into the, the practical strategies for introverted sellers. But for today, thank you so much for listening to the Introverts Edge podcast, and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Cheers, everyone. I'm Matthew Pollard, the author of The Introvert's Edge to Networking. I'm on a mission to help introverts to be proud of who we are. For the first time, you'll learn a process for networking that feels comfortable and authentic to you as an introvert. A process that doesn't feel salesy or awkward in any way. I saw at least half of my board members, three in particular that I can think of, 
that now are so comfortable in literally going up to people at events, all of a sudden I can see the confidence. Most of the networking books and literature out there really focus on hardcore tactics designed for extroverts. As introverts, we're different and we need to embrace that. We need a system that allows us to channel our natural introverted strengths into the networking room. You will learn how to be successful at face-to-face -face networking and a masterful online networker on your terms. It's beautifully written and it provides tremendous value. So I, I, I am honored to, to say, folks, if you haven't looked at the book, you really need to check out this guy's book. It's, it's excellent. It gives you that confidence to truly be yourself, knowing that you're going to be presenting yourself in a way that is authentic and will also really resonate with the person that you're talking with. One of the things you'll love about the Introvert's Edge to networking is it's jam-packed full of more than 20 stories of introverts just like you. People that have likely started in much tougher spots than where you are right now and how they've leveraged the strategies that you'll be learning to obtain phenomenal career and small business success. I was about to give up on my business. The results started coming in right away. In fact, a year later, the Chamber of Commerce awarded me the business of the year. <laughs> you need to go read his book because everything he does is what people need whether they're an introvert or not. I've been fortunate to receive endorsements from some exceptional introverts like Neil Patel and Ivan Meisner, the founder of the world's largest networking group, BNI. What I love about the Introvert's Edge is that it talks about the things that make an introvert successful. The Introvert's Edge to Networking is going to destroy all of the barriers that you have around whether success in networking is possible for you. Now I'm up to kind of five figures, you know, triple my prices or more. It was like the deals just kept coming in and coming in and it, I mean, it was incredible. Like I had never seen anything like it before. I was able to triple my revenue and that's happened within six months. We've gone from 10 million a year to 20 million a year. I wrote The Introvert's Edge to networking after the success of the first in the Introvert's Edge series, which focused on sales. I decided that it was just as important, perhaps even more so, that we had a networking book that was designed to help us as introverts dominate in the networking room and in online networking that was specifically written for us. So if you're an introvert, don't delay. Head to theintrovertsedge.com forward slash networking to get access to the first chapter of my new book completely for free today.